right. Good morning, everybody. Well, Merry Christmas. All right. Good job. Good job. Aren't you excited that it's going to be Christmas this week? Huh? I mean, I am thrilled about it, man. I can't wait. It's my favorite time of the year. I love it. In fact, just to see if you're really in the Christmas spirit, I'm going to ask you some questions. And this is the audience participation part of the talk, all right? So let me ask you a question. Hands up if you have watched any Christmas movies so far this year. Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, yeah. Some of you have definitely watched some Christmas movies. More than one Christmas movie? All right, yeah, same people. Anyway, all right, how many of you actually listen to Christmas songs in your car? Right, yeah, absolutely. Okay, very good. And here's the big one, drum roll. How many of you have completed all of your Christmas shopping so far? Hands up, come on, loud and proud. And some of the guys are going, dang it, she's looking at me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's okay. You've got, you've got a few days left to get it done, all right? Good job. So uh, Christmas is, a, is an exciting time of the year, but it's also a time when you can get into awkward situations. What I, what I mean by that is you tend to spend time with people that you don't normally spend time with at Christmas, Right? You go to your spouse's office Christmas party and you're having to make small talk with people you don't really know. And so that can be kind of awkward. Or maybe you go to a family gathering. I remember when I was a kid, I would go with my family and there'd be all these, you know, cousins and aunts and uncles, you know, that I don't really spend much time with, but I only see them at Christmas time. And it's sometimes a little awkward, especially when that aunt comes up to you and she pinches your cheek and tells you how cute you were when you were this big and kisses you on the forehead. It's really awkward when you're 50 and she does that. I mean, it's really, really awkward. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think sometimes though that can happen too in your walk with God. That that maybe if you're feeling a little distant from the Lord, you're not really walking with him that closely, that uh, when it comes to Christmas, all of a sudden you're forced to deal with Jesus. And you want to have these sentimental feelings, you want to have this sense that it's the Christmas spirit, and, and you want to get into what Christmas means, but yet you've kind of been drifting from God throughout the year, and so now you have to deal with him, and that can be difficult. Um, you may feel that way, Today, you may feel like, you know, I, I'm having a hard time getting in the Christmas spirit because I, I'm really struggling with Jesus right now. I'm struggling with my faith right now. What do you do when you're struggling like that, when you feel distant from God at Christmas time? Um, so I want to talk about that. In fact, I want you to get your Bible. I want you to open it up with me to Matthew uh, chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And the title of the message today is Hope When I Feel Distant. Hope When I Feel Distant. Now, if, when you open up, we're going to look at chapter 2, but let me just kind of set some context for you of what we're going to be studying here. Matthew chapter 1, you have the genealogy of Jesus, so you have the list of Jesus' family line. And then you have the encounter where Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, has an encounter with an angel to say that Jesus is going to be born. We're going to get to that on Christmas Eve. So you come on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about that. And then there's this big time gap between that chapter one and chapter two. In chapter two, the birth is already over. 
the birth has already happened, and now you're about anywhere from six months to 18 months after the birth of Jesus. So it's interesting, the Gospel of Matthew doesn't even describe or talk about the actual birth of Jesus. Matthew just skips over it. So there's this big time gap here, and now we're in chapter 2, and we're going to be uh, meeting some people who were on a journey to encounter Jesus. People that were far from God that had an encounter with Christ. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If you're with me, say amen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star uh, at its rising and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And they sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Now, I want you to underline the phrase wise men. You might have the phrase magi in your Bible as well. These are mysterious guys. Who are these wise men? We, we know them because they're in the nativity, right? The little nativity thing you set up in your house. Uh, if you got a, a Decent nativity, you're going to have the basic plan is you're going to have a Mary and a Joseph and a baby Jesus, right? If you have the more elaborate plan, you may throw in a couple of shepherds and some cattle and, and uh, maybe an angel and certainly the three wise men. They're all in a package there together. Uh, however, we know, I just told you that the wise men did not show up until, they weren't there at the manger, okay? They didn't show up till later. Jesus is now in a house. He's not in a manger. Now he's called a child, not a baby. And so we know that there's been some time gap here. So the wise men weren't there at the major scene. So that's why I've taken it upon myself that whenever Liz sets up the nativity in our house, to always remove the wise men from them and put them somewhere else, all right? And, uh, of course, I've gotten in a, in a lot of hot water for this over the years because every year she puts, we have several nativities, and I go through, and I separate out the wise men and put them elsewhere. And I think I finally just wore her down, all right? Okay, because now it's like, okay. And I'm like, look, this can be a new tradition, right? You set up the nativity, and then where are the wise men? I don't know. They're somewhere else. you got to go find them in other parts of the house. I think this would be a great family tradition, wouldn't you? Come on, back me up here, folks. Back me up. All right, anyway, and so, uh, in fact, we had friends of ours that came over the other day, and, and she's looking at these nativities, and she goes, well, where are the wise men? And I pointed to across the room, and I said, they're over there. They're still on the journey, all right? They're still trying to make their way, theologically uh, correct uh, nativity, all right? Anyway, so, um, so you've got these wise men. Who are these wise men? Well, uh, we know they're from the east, right? It says wise men from the east. So think east not like China, think more east like Persia. In fact, the Greek historian Herodotus says that these magi were, quote, priestly 
caste of Medes. They, are, they were a priestly caste of Medes. The Medes, Persians, uh, were in modern-day Iran today. Most likely, they were Zoroastrian priests. Uh, Zoroastrianism was born in ancient Persia during uh, in that modern-day Iran uh, and it really was monotheistic in the sense that it believed in one God, but it also had a lot of dark practices to it. They practiced a lot of sorcery, they practiced a lot of witchcraft, um, a lot of um, astrology, um, that kind of thing. In fact, you, you may not know this, the word magic actually comes from the word magi. Uh, so these were men that practiced the dark arts. But in that time, there was kind of a fine line between the priests that practiced those things and actually the scholars of the day. And so many of these magi also served as scientists. They also served as uh, astrologers and physicians, even, even legal uh, leaders. In fact, the word magistrate also comes from the word magi. So they, they held multiple functions in the ancient world. And so here are these magi from the east, most likely from Persia, Iran area, and they're coming to seek the newborn king, the king of the Jews. Now, why would these people from Persia be traveling all the way to care about the king of the Jews? Well, that's a really good question. And we don't really know exactly, but we have a clue. If you remember back in your uh, church history, that in 857 BC, uh, Israel was overcome and taken into exile into Babylon. And many of the people that went were, were great leaders, Jewish leaders, one of which was a man named Daniel. And Daniel, there's a whole book in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, that describes what happened to him. But Daniel, in Babylon now, rose up uh, to really serve King Nebuchadnezzar and the kings that followed him in a very powerful way. He, he interpreted dreams, and God was really with him. And as a result of that, he was elevated to the head of the wise men, or the head of the magi. So it's quite possible that Daniel, being the leader of the magi in Babylon, began to incorporate in their curriculum uh, the prophecies about the coming Jewish Messiah. In fact, he may have included in their study this prophecy found in Numbers 24, verse 17. By the way, this is a very important prophecy. Numbers 24, 17, quote, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. In other words, there's going to be a king coming. Not now, but in the future, a king will come, a scepter will come, a king will come, and the sign of his coming will be a star. And so these Persian astrologers began to seek for a star and seek a sign of this coming Jewish king. So here they are, They're, they've come now to look for Jesus, to look for the king. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? That these wise men could not be further from God, all right? Uh, they, they would certainly count as someone far from God. They were not Jews, they were Gentiles. They were not from the Holy Land, they were from a pagan land, right? They, they, even though they were educated, they did not know the truth. They did not worship the one true God, but they worshiped in pagan fashion. And yet, they were on this journey 
to encounter Christ. Listen, you may feel far from God today too. You may know somebody in your life, in your family, that right now Christmas has struggled because they just feel far from God and Christmas is difficult for them. Why is it that people feel far from God? Why, why is it? What, what causes that? Uh, people ask me that. Why, why, why do I feel so distant from the Lord, especially during the holidays? Why do I feel so far from God? And I think there are some reasons why, in general, people feel far from God. Uh, one reason that's kind of obvious is that sometimes we feel far from God because we're disobedient to the Lord. There's some area in our life that's not obedient to God, and our sin creates this distance from the Lord. Isaiah 59 2 says, your iniquities are separating you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. And so we know that part of our really core problem is that our sin is separated from God. That's why Christ came. That's why I went to a cross was to remove our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. So we know that, that all men have sinned, all have fallen short, we're all separated, and only Jesus can bring us back to the Lord, can reconcile us to God. But you know what? Even after you give your life to Christ, even as a believer and a follower of Jesus, if we allow sin to remain in our lives, it can cause distance from God. It doesn't mean that we lose our faith. It doesn't mean that we're not his son or daughter, but there can be distance from us. I mean, think about it this way. Well, your kids don't always obey you, right? Come on now. They don't always do exactly what they're told. Uh, sometimes they do exactly what you told them not to do, right? And uh, in those, that moment, you love them, but you may not like them very much. You may say, you know what, I brought you into the world, I really want to take you out right now. I really want that because there's friction, right? They didn't do, they're disobeying you and so there's tension there until there's a repentance and I'm sorry and forgiveness and then that fellowship can be restored. And it's kind of that way with our Heavenly Father. When, when we're doing things that disobey Him, that break His heart, we may be related to him, we may be born again, but, but our fellowship is distant. And so sometimes, sometimes we're distant from God because we're not doing some things that God wants us to do, or we are doing things he doesn't want us to do, and that disobedience is creating separation, a broken fellowship with God. Another reason why we might be distant is, is because we're going through a difficult time, a difficult season, Sometimes difficulty can cause us to feel far from God, a, a trial, a hardship, a crisis. And when you're in the crisis, uh, you, you feel like God's not answering your prayers. Have you ever felt that way? Ever felt like, man, I'm in this crisis and God, I, I don't think you're answering my prayers. God, I just feel like you're so far away from me. God, why are you so far? If you've ever felt that, you're in good company. King David wrote about this over and over and over in his own personal walk with God. And he wrote out through the Psalms multiple times. He talks about how he feels like God is far from him when he's in the crisis. In fact, Psalm 22 is a very important Psalm. And this is what King David wrote. He said, don't be far from me because distress is near. Get that? Distress is near. And God, I don't want you to feel far from me. I don't want to feel far from you because I've got so much trouble. Listen, the truth of the matter is that this year has been really hard for some of you. It has. It's, it's been in many ways a season of loss. Some of you have, have struggled at home. Uh, 
Some of you, your, your marriage is struggling. Some of you have experienced separation. Some of you have experienced a loss of a family member. Some of you have dealt with sickness. Uh, it's just been a very, very hard year. And in that difficulty, you can feel like God is far away from you. Did you know that even when Jesus was dying on the cross, he actually quoted Psalm 22? When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it's like to feel distant, especially in moments of pain and heartache. So sometimes we feel distant from God because of the difficulty that we're going through. Uh, but one more reason why you feel distant is because we're just distracted. You know, sometimes just distraction. No longer is Jesus my primary goal, my determined purpose to not really know him. I'm just kind of distracted in lots of the other things. And I think, I think that that particularly happens in, in the Christmas season, right? Because even though it's Christmas, it's all about Christ. It's Christ mass, right? It's all about Jesus. It's Christ in Christmas. It's all about him. It seems like Christmas is a lot about, about a lot of other stuff and not about Jesus, right? It's about the inflatables in my front yard, and getting my Christmas lights up and getting the right Christmas card done. You got to get them ordered and who's going to be on the list and who's going to be dropped off the list and getting to that Christmas party and buying the right things and shuffling to this, that, and the other. And whoo, you know, there's just so much stuff that we're distracted from Jesus. And that distraction can make you feel distant from God. You know, there was a church in Ephesus, ancient Ephesus. And man, this church was an on-fire church. I mean, when it started, it was like a rocket ship. I mean, it just took off. God was moving in a powerful way. People were getting saved, radically saved. They were like burning their witchcraft books. They were giving their life to Christ. They were planting churches all over. They had the best preachers, the best leaders that any other church had and they were on fire, but yet when Jesus addresses this church in Revelation chapter 2, he says this, but I have this one thing against you. He said, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Wow. Think about that. Do you love Jesus like you used to? Do you love him? I mean, if your family said, we're not going to worship Jesus anymore, we're going to do our own thing, would you say, you know, no, no, I, I can't walk away from Jesus. I love Jesus. I mean, if all your friends said, we're not going to worship God anymore, we're going to live our own life, would you say, no, 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 I, I can't go with you because I love Jesus. My heart is to Jesus. I love him. Do you love Jesus? Or has your love for him dwindled? Because of all the distractions. Have you lost the love you had at first? So these are all reasons why you may feel distant from God, especially in the Christmas time. But I've got some really good news for you, okay? If you are suffering from this distance from God, I've got some great news. And here it is. That Jesus came to close the distance. That's exactly why we celebrate Christmas. Because when we could not go to him, when we were far from him, when we were running away from him, that Jesus came to us, born in a manger, to go to a cross, to draw you back to him. And you can be close to him like you used to be. You can renew your love and your passion and the intimacy you used to have with Jesus. A.W. Tozer He's one of my favorite 
authors and, and uh, he was a pastor and, and, and preacher and teacher. He made a statement that I just can't quite get off my mind. He'll go ahead and put it up here. He said this, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. Think about that. Every person is as close to God as he wants to be, as she wants to be. If you really want to seek him, then you will find him. If you really want to be close to him, then you can be. You can, you can make your way back to Jesus. And I think, I think this is why I love the story of the wise men because here are people that were very far from God and they're making their way to him and they're closing the gap and they end with an encounter with Jesus that is real and genuine. And that's what God wants for you this year. So how do you close the gap? What do you do to make your way back to be as close to God as you want to be? Let me give you a couple things. First thing is this. If you're going to jot anything down, write this down. First thing is remember. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has done. Just to remember. To think back to the times when you used to be really close to God. What, what are the highlights of your spiritual journey? You know, I was with a group of guys not too long ago, and we were all sharing our stories and it came to me, and so I'm, I'm sharing my story. And I, and I started talking about when I was in college, and I was really distant from the Lord. I wasn't walking with God, and wasn't going to church, wasn't reading my Bible. And, and God really, I had an encounter with the Lord, and, and God really spoke to me. And, and I've, I've shared this before, but I'll never forget, he said, uh, Craig, choose you this day who you will serve. Craig, you got a choice to make. Are you going to walk with me or not? And that was a pivotal time in my life. And even just telling that story, I got emotional about it because I was just like remembering that moment when I was so far and God was like drawing me back to him. And just the memory of it just began to renew what God had done in my own life. Listen, if I were to sit down across the table with a cup of coffee and said, okay, tell me the high moments of your walk with God. I mean, tell me the times when you sensed him closer than you've ever sensed it before. When were they? What was that like for you? That might have been, obviously, when you gave your life to Christ, what, what that was like. Or maybe it was a high moment when you were like this conference or this worship service, and it was just, the worship was so amazing. It was like God was right there. Or maybe it was in a low point in your life when you were on your face, and no one could help you, but you felt the hand of Jesus on you. I don't know what your story is, but do you remember the times when you were close to God? Start there. Remember. You know, these wise men, they started remembering, right? They started by remembering the prophecies. They remembered this prophecy in, in the book of Numbers that said there's going to be a star and that's going to be a sign of a king. And because they remembered the prophecy and they saw the star, that began this journey for them. And listen, if you will begin to remember the high points of your walk with God, then that will become a star for you that you can follow that will bring you back to a renewed relationship with him. One of the great ways to do, to remember, is to write these things down. I think just the biblical practice of journaling is a really great help. If I were to take you to my house today, you walk in the front door, take an immediate left, and you walk into a little office I have at the house. And in that house, I have two bookshelves that were made by one of my dear friends in college. 
and uh, he built these bookshelves for me. And I've got about three or four shelves that are filled with journals that go all the way back to when I was in seminary. Now, think about that. I mean, the, the paper is yellowed, you know, and, and, and brittle. You can't hardly, because it was so long ago. But, uh, but you've got all these journals that date back, you know, decades. And you know what? I can tell you that if I, if I took you there, uh, I could pull off the shelf certain times in my life and read to you what I was going through when I was really uh, discouraged and I can show you what God answered prayer. I, I can show you promises that God gave me that, that he fulfilled. And those came true. I can show you a journey throughout my adult life of walking with God. And those renew my heart for the Lord. One of the practices that I do in, in this last year between, between Christmas and New Year's, I go back and I reread the journal for that year. Just the things that God has been showing me this year. And I can reflect back on how God has moved and what God has said. Maybe some things I've forgotten that bring back to my mind. So listen, in remembering, I want to encourage you to take time this, this season between Christmas and New Year to take out a pen and paper or maybe get on your uh, laptop and, and just start writing down what are the high points of your spiritual walk with God. Remember is critical to recovering your intimacy and closeness with God. Another thing you need to do is not only remember, but you need to do the things you used to do. All right? You got to do the things that you used to do when you were walking with God. You know, Liz and I have been married 35 years and we're still crazy in love with each other and going strong. And, and we started to practice early on about date nights, all right? So when we were uh, mar just married, we were so broke, we couldn't afford to go to a restaurant, all right? So we would always do picnics because that was the cheapest date we could possibly do. We have a blanket and we had some peanut butter and jelly or get this some pimento cheese sandwiches. Come on, anybody with me on that one? Uh, okay, maybe not. Uh, and then uh, we, had, we had, you know, just, I mean, we'd make sandwiches and some chips and we go out throw the blanket out that's a date night because that's all we could afford and then later on we could afford to go to a restaurant and then the girls would come along and they're like we want to go with you we're like no you stay at home this is just me and mom you can't come and, and then uh, and then you know sure enough they grow up and they leave the house and we still go on date nights one time Liz was like, why do we go on day nights? I mean, we're just, it's just the two of us all the time. You know, why do we need to go? No, no, no. Day nights are important because this is when we just go and we think about us, right? We work on us and we think about our relationship. And, uh, and oftentimes when I talk with couples that are struggling in their marriage, one of my first questions is, how's date night going? How, how's, your, how's your communication? How's your uninterrupted communication together? How, how, what do you do together that you love to do as a couple? How's romance going? How, how's, uh, how, what do you do that serve, you serve together as a couple? And you know what I found? I found that couples that used to do those things, somewhere along the way, they stopped doing those things. And that's why the distance began to grow. Now that same is true in your walk with Jesus. The things you used to do are the things you need to get back to doing. The things you did when you had a real heart for God. In fact, you remember that church in Ephesus, right? That Jesus said you lost your first love. Listen to what he said to them. 
He said, remember how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. There it is. Remember and then start doing the stuff you used to do. And that was Jesus's remedy for feeling distant from God. And listen, that is what you and I need to do. The, the wise men, they remembered the star, but then they took a step toward him. They took a step toward him. The Christian life is called a Christian walk. You got to take steps toward the Lord. Over and over and over, it's called the Christian walk. Check this out. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love. Ephesians 5.8, walk as children of the light. Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, walk in a manner worthy. 1 John 2.6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. It's a walk of one step and then another step, and that's how you live the Christian life. Listen, you will never close the distance that you feel between you and the Lord Jesus by standing still. Yeah, remember what he's done. Remember what that was like, but then you need to take some steps toward him. And that looks like doing the things you used to do when you loved him. Now, for some of you, that may be as simple as just getting back to the basics. Man, I used to be in God's word every day. So for the next 30 days, I'm going to be in God's word every single day. I used to memorize scripture. Okay, for the next 30 days, I'm going to just saturate my mind with God's word. I used to pray. Well, then for the next 30 days, I'm going to be literally like on my knees, eyes closed in prayer, crying out to God. And I, we used to go to church. Well, I mean, I'm going to be in, every time the door's open, I'm going to be there. We used to have Christian friends. Well, then I'm going to pursue godly Christian friends. It may be making some changes, like changes in what you listen to, changes in what you see, changes in your friend group. But some things have got to change. Listen, you'll never close the distance standing still. You got to take a step. So I remember what Jesus has done. I remember when I was close to the Lord and now I'm taking steps like I used to do to draw close to him. That's what the wise men did. But I want you to see this last thing is you got to surrender your best to him. Surrender your best to him. Look at, look at uh, verse nine. It says, after hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising and it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men, they began to take steps toward Jesus, toward Bethlehem, and there the star was. And the star led them all the way to the house where Jesus was. Now, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, what is this star? And uh, I mean, I've, I've read the articles, I've watched the documentaries, I've uh, read the commentaries. Some people say it was some kind of planetary arrangement. Others say it was a meteor or an asteroid or something like that. But, but I've never seen a planet lead anyone over a certain house. Have you? Or a meteor lead anyone to a certain place? So I'll tell you what I think it is. This is just Craig's crazy thoughts, all right? Take it for what it's worth. But there was another place in the scripture where there was a light in the sky that led God's people. Think back to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And the Lord led them 
with a pillar or with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire, a light at night. And it would move and it would stop. And then it would move again and it would stop. And it led them where they needed to be. And I believe this was the presence of God leading them right where they needed to be. Now listen, they get to this house and there in the house, they uh, encounter Jesus. They see Jesus, the child, and they worshiped him and they gave him three gifts, right? Gold, a gift for a king, the most precious of metals, a gift for the king of kings frankincense. That was what the priests used in the holy place. Every morning and every evening, they would burn incense. They would burn this frankincense. And that was a gift for the the ultimate high priest, our ultimate high priest, who would represent us to the Father and the Father to us. But then he also gave gold, frankincense, and what was the last one? Myrrh, right? That's a strange one, right? Myrrh was actually a spice that was used in embalming dead bodies. In fact, when Jesus' body was taken off the cross, they treated his body with spices and myrrh was a part of that. It was a preservative. Now, why would they give that to Jesus? Because it was not only the gold for our ultimate king, the incense for our ultimate priest, but the myrrh was for the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would give himself for us at the cross. They worshiped him. They gave him the best that they had. Let me ask you something. What are you giving Jesus this Christmas? You've been thinking a lot about what you're giving other people for Christmas, right? That perfect gift. What are you giving Jesus? Christina Rossetti was a a poet who wrote several different uh, formidable works and uh, put her as one of the premier poets in the last uh, hundred years. But one of those poems she wrote reflecting on that first Christmas. In fact, this poem became so popular that it was later put to a tune and is part of our Christmas carols that we sing. And this is what she wrote. What can I give him as small as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. I know what I'll give him. I'll give him my heart. What can I give him to show him my love? The stars smile on him and twinkle above. They sing me a song that shines in the dark. I know what I'll give him. I'll give him my heart. Maybe if you feel distant from him, don't just remember. Don't just take steps, but surrender your heart to him again. You say, well, Craig, my heart's in pretty bad shape right now. (laughs) That's okay. You give him your questions. And he'll give you his answers. You give him your pain. And he'll give you his presence. You give him your doubts. And he'll give you 
a reason to believe and trust him again. Listen, you give him your hurts and he'll give you hope. And in that moment, you will know him and he will know you. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. Are you feeling distant from the Lord this Christmas? Maybe it's been a hard year. Maybe there's some areas of your life that have caused you to drift from Him. Maybe just too many distractions have caused you to to drift in your walk with God. Listen, you're as close to God as you want to be. And even, even in this place, in this moment, you can draw close to Him again. You can know Him deeply again. You can love Him again. And maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you just know about Jesus, but you don't know Him. Then you can start by responding to Jesus, confessing your sin to Him, acknowledging that He died and rose again from the dead and ask Him to forgive you and to come into your life and and save you. And if you've never given your life to Christ, then today is that day. This is that moment to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. But maybe you're a Christian and you just feel distant from God. Then make the journey back to Him. Remember. Take some steps toward Him. Even now, surrender your heart in whatever condition it's in to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I just want to know You. The Scripture says, if you seek Him, you will find Him when you search for Him with all your heart. Father, I thank You that Jesus, this is why You came, to close the distance that you don't want us to be far from you. You don't want us to be distant from you. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas would be a time when we experience your nearness and your presence in a powerful way. Lord, we don't want to just be wrapped up in the idea of Christmas. We want to know Christ. We want to know you, Jesus. We want to love you and worship you and adore you and offer all that we are to you. So Lord, I pray you would draw us. You're a good shepherd and you know when your your sheep stray and you pursue us. And So Lord Jesus, draw us close to you. Help us know you, Lord, like we've never known you before. And even now in this moment, we surrender to you and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name.